0: So have you ever been disappointed with God? Those times when you expected one thing and you got something different, did you ever get disappointed with God? Went through a season in my life where I didn't really call it that. I had enough religious sensibility about me not to hang things on God that were not really his. But beneath the surface and uh, in those quiet moments with just myself and my thoughts, I continued to go back to my disappointment with God. My cousin, who is about uh, a year and a half older than I am, had married his high school sweetheart. And somewhere in the early days of their marriage, they had a young daughter. And not long after that, his wife was diagnosed with Brain cancer. And she died. Despite all of the prayers and despite all of the appeals that we made to God as a family, we watched our young cousin just slip away. And we were disappointed with God. How about you? you ever been disappointed? with God. One of the things I think that forces or pushes our disappointment with God is that we bring expectations to the table. When we deal with God, we have things that we expect from Him, We expect him to take care of us, and we expect him to keep us safe, and we expect all of these things from him. And so, when we come into our relationship, whether we're aware of it or not, and whether we verbalize it and vocalize it or not, we come to that relationship with some expectations of God. The problem is that when God doesn't meet our expectations, uh, we feel like he let us down. So this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 12, I want to go over a few things with you. With whatever time we have, I'll deal with as many as I can. There's no way we will exhaust this topic with this text today. But I want us to come to that realization that there are some things that we can in fact expect from God. And it's always better when we build our expectations on Him and what He does and what He says to us. And so as we come to this passage, it's Genesis chapter 12, we will now take another step in this first series that I have uh, approached as in these early days of my time as your pastor. First things, those first words that we deal with in those passages, those first sermons where I attempt to lay down a foundation for us as a church about what we can expect from God in the days ahead. It is foundation kind of stuff. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we read these words, Now the Lord said to Abram, Oh, let's just go ahead and stop there and dig in, shall we? The first thing that we can expect from God is that we can expect to hear from God. Now, I I deal with a lot of people that uh, struggle with this concept a little bit. It's not so much that they struggle with the theory behind it, I don't really ever hear too much of anybody saying or even suggesting that it's a question about whether God can speak to us. The question is not so much for them, can he do it? The question for them is really twofold. Will he do it? Does he do it? And how does he do it? And so that's actually, to answer that, is a whole another series of sermons, and we'll get to those maybe at some point but I want to begin at this point where we just settle in with what we find in this text, because from the outset of this text, we're confronted with the reality. It doesn't talk about how. There's no methodology that's mentioned here. It simply says, now the Lord said to Abram. There's no question here that Abram hears from God. I, I know some people struggle with that. Some people think that it's a little bit weird, a little mysterious, a little bit uh, hocus-pocus to think that somehow God actually speaks to his people. So, if you're one of those who's not too sure, let me give you a couple of examples from my own life that might help you understand why I can be so confident in saying that God, in fact, talks to us and speaks with us in a variety of different ways, and in doing so, lays the foundation for us always as individuals and as a church to expect to hear from God. One of the times that I most clearly heard this was a number of years ago. I was actually a young pastor. I had just begun the senior pastor position at First Baptist Church in Edinburgh, and one of our deacons uh, loved to go backpacking, as did I. And so we planned a trip, and we took some of the high school kids from our church and a couple of adults who were learning the backpack. And uh, from way down in deep south Texas, we made the trip all the way out to Glorieta, outside of Santa Fe, and found our way up into the backcountry of the Pecos wilderness. And it was the worst backpacking trip of my life. It rained the whole time. We didn't even leave the trailhead before it started raining, and for three days we were in the rain up in the backcountry. It was miserable. So most of our time was spent in the tents. It was just miserable. There's no other way to say that. And I found myself in my tent raining outside, water beginning to seep through the floor of my tent, running down the middle of my, and I was thinking, what am I doing here And I began this conversation with God, and out of the blue, totally unprovoked, I got a message from God that cut me straight to the heart. As I said, I was a new pastor. I was learning how to be a senior pastor. And there was one element of my job that… Uh, it's, there was nothing wrong, nothing unethical, nothing moral, or anything like that that was a problem. It was just one of the functions as a pastor that I was not doing very well, and uh, and, and I got this clear message from God. If you don't straighten that part up, you're going to lose your voice with a segment of the population of your church, and then it was done. And, and I heard it, and I knew that that's what it was. It wasn't this loud voice out there somewhere. It wasn't some spooky deal, something up in the trees. It was just deep inside of me, that clear awareness that God was speaking about something in my ministry that needed to be addressed. And so I dealt with it there on the mountainside, and then when the trip was over, I promptly forgot about it. Until a year later, because I hadn't listened to that message I had begun to lose my voice with a certain population group in the church. And God spoke to me again and said, Don't you remember? Now, that may be a little bit weird for you. You may think that, you know, that's one of those preacher things. But the reality is that we can expect that God is going to speak to us. And as a church, and this is one of the first things, this is part of that foundation that we're trying to lay here together. And part of us, or part of our function as a church is to be sure that we are listening for the voice of God. This takes me back to a sermon a couple of weeks ago. I'm not gonna retread it or anything like that. I'll just go back to the title. I hope this works. And the hope part of that. Remember, it's not wishful thinking. It is confident assurance that's based on the revealed Word of God. The revealed Word of God means that we have to sharpen our capacity to hear from God. The good news is that we can expect God to communicate with us. He intends to do that. We are not left to our own devices. He doesn't just throw us out here and say, Boy, I hope you figure out how to make it work. God is active. This is His church, not ours. He has something to say to us. And so we listen. We expect to hear from him. I'll take you back to another incident in my life. I was in the middle of that last stage of formal education, and I was overwhelmed with it all. The workload seemed to be totally undoable. I knew that God had called me into that level of education. I just was tired of doing it I had teenage kids at home I had one who was trying to graduate from high school and he was an athlete and so we were doing things with him I had a daughter who was a cheerleader and so I was a cheerleader dad I was the one sitting in the stands with all the cheerleader moms you need to hear from God when that's you and I was trying to go to school and trying to pastor a church and it was just too much. So I began to ask God to let me out. i i'll just, it'd be fine. I've learned a lot in the school process. Maybe I'll just be done. And God took me to a passage of Scripture one morning in my devotion time. I'll share it with you briefly. But it was one of those times that I needed to hear from God. And in my own devotion, just sitting in my office, I came across these words in Isaiah chapter 30 beginning in verse 20. And it says this, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, that's a capital T there. It is an Old Testament reference to the Holy Spirit. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Isaiah the prophet speaks through the centuries to us with that passage, and he jumps right into the middle of where we are in this passage with Genesis and this guy named Abram, and it says, the Lord said to him, we should know, we should expect to hear from God. That's one of those building blocks as we go forward. And with Abram, we find that just hearing is not the end of the story. There's got to be another thing. And so here's the second thing that we can expect from God. We can expect that he's going to position us. Sometimes the message that we hear from God is comforting. And maybe you're here today, and you just kind of came in. Maybe you're not even sure why you're here. Many of us come here because we need to hear from God. We have at least a working knowledge of the fact that we can expect to hear from God, and so things get to such a place in our lives that we really need to hear from God. And maybe it's a health thing, or maybe it's a relationship thing, and always it seems to be a financial thing for some of us. And so we come in, and we're just looking. We're waiting to hear from God, but we're waiting to hear something that's comforting. Psalm 46, verse 10, not the whole verse, but at least part of it, the one that God deals with me with most of the time, says, Be still and know that I am God. Here's why that's important for me, because when I run into things that are beyond me and push me and it begins to get a little uncomfortable, my tendency in my head is to be analytical and to be strategic, and I start working options, and I start thinking all these different ways, and I can figure out how I'm going to fix this problem, and my mind starts going nuts. Now, my body might not be doing anything, but my mind is racing a 1,000 miles a minute. And every once in a while, God will throw that verse at me, Be still. Let me put that in East Texas language for you. Slow down, son. Be still. And then the promise that's attached to that is, and know that I'm God. You see, if you're here today and life's running away with you, and you're not sure how you're going to make it through, you came in here today because you need some kind of comforting word from God. Here's my best counsel to you. First off is just be still. Slow down and let God speak into the chaos of your life and he'll prove to you that he's God. And that's all good. We, we love those kinds of truths. Unfortunately, This passage doesn't leave us with that kind of truth. Well, it's really not unfortunate. It's just unfortunate for us when we expect God to give us a life that is all honey and no bees, like it's just sweetness and it's all going to be great. You know, there are those people out there who try to sell the Christian life that way. Well, you just come to Jesus and you won't ever have another problem again. Don't believe. The theological term for that is garbage. Life's full of pain. And Christians don't get a free pass. Just because you intend to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that all the problems of your life go away. It doesn't mean that, that he'll walk with you through those problems but you still deal with the problems. And so here's one of the other things that, that, that we find jumping out of this passage for us, and I'll explain it in a little more detail as we go forward, but here's part of the deal. You can be sure that problems are gonna come your way, and you can expect God to be involved in those. It doesn't mean that God's doing stuff to you, like he's getting some kind of sick pleasure out of uh, manipulating circumstances to mess people up. That's not God's love for us at all. But the reality is that God positions us in our life so that we find ourselves in these challenging situations sometimes and God is actively trying to do something with us there. Take, for instance, let's go ahead and finish reading this because Abraham, uh, Abram, in this case, or at this time, models this for us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country But I want to back way up here, and let's make sure that we're grabbing a couple of things that are really important for us. By the time we get to the end of Abraham's life, and his name will change to Abraham somewhere down the line, but by the time we get to the end of his life, he will have lived a life of obedience to God based in faith that will cause him to be one of the heroes of all of Scripture. We go to the book of Hebrews, in that section where the writer kind of lists these great heroes of the faith and the faithful ones. And Abraham gets more space in that chapter than anybody else does. This guy figured out what it means to honor God with his life. But what we find in Genesis 12 1 is the beginning point. It's the launch pad for him. Notice what triggers it all. And the Lord said to him, Go. But it's actually deeper than just go. It's go from. And God takes Abraham and He positions him now for faith development. We find this over in chapter 15 and verse 6, where we read these or this description of him. And he that is Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted to him as righteousness. He gets it right in the end. He gets it right consistently, but it had to begin somewhere. In the beginning of that life that is marked by obedience and faithfulness, we find here in chapter 12, verse 1, when God simply steps into the mix and he says to him, Go, go from, and then God lists all these things, three different levels of security and comfort and identity that God says to him, you have to get away from all of those things and go to the place. And then God doesn't even give him the the courtesy of telling him where he's supposed to go. He just says, go, and when you get to where I want you to be, I'll tell you. That sound a little bit uh, unsettling for you? that God might actually say to you, let's pull it back where I intend this whole thing to be, that he might actually say to us as a church, those things that you have built into the stability and the safety and the security of who you are, I want you to get up and I want you to move past that. That's a scary thought. If that doesn't scare you a little bit, then you probably should go back and revisit some of this stuff. God says to Abram, I want you to leave your your people and your country and your nuclear family—all of those things that give you identity, all of those things that give you a place to be, a place to be somebody—I want you to leave, leave all of that stuff behind and just go somewhere else. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. But it's not an unusual tactic for God, and we should know that. As a matter of fact, God would do this with Israel, the children of Israel. You go read the Book of Exodus. We find that they—it begins and they're in captivity. Slaves in Egypt. And after a handful of chapters there, we see that God moves them out, and he says, leave Egypt. And yeah, he's taken them to the promised land, but he's also taken them into the wilderness for 40 years. Scary stuff. And yet it is, in fact, God's pattern with us to position us in such a way to develop our faith. He did it with me three weeks ago when he said, get up and leave, at least least he told me where to go. And I'm grateful for that. This is God's pattern to position us so that we grow in our faith. It's a developmental thing. It's it's one of those things for us that that we have to recognize that sometimes the the insecurity that we feel and sometimes the the shaking of the ground around us is God's way of saying, listen up, we're about to go somewhere. We we do this, this positioning for growth all the time. As a matter of fact, we do it school's about to start. Maybe it has started for some of you. I have a friend who is a kindergarten teacher. She's a dear friend of our family, and I uh, always enjoyed listening to her this time of the year. She served in a school district that, uh, that had a lot of really rough kids, a lot of uh, broken families and a lot of children that had no real adult supervision or really positive influence. And, and so here she is, a kindergarten teacher, and these kids come in, and they, they, the school district expected her to teach these children. Now, some of you are educators. You know how unrealistic that expectation can be. And so she's getting these kids who have no idea about how to act, and she has to sit them down, and she has to talk to them, and she somehow has to teach them something. And, and so she would, for many of them, didn't even know their alphabet when they came in. And so she'd sit them down, and she'd start through the process of teaching them the alphabet. Do you know why she taught them the alphabet? Because she wanted them to grow up to be Poets but you can't get to the advanced stuff unless you get the basic stuff. This is no different in the spiritual life. We do our best growing usually in our difficult times. It's those times that God seems to step into the forefront of our lives and we begin to see things maybe we're a little more teachable in those times. And so God positions us for growth. It's a regular thing with him, and it's scary. So let me drop this truth on you. It won't be the last time you'll hear it from me because it's one of those driving truths, and it's so much a part of the foundation of how we live our lives as Christian people. We really do need to get that. So so you ready for this? God is much more interested in your growth and development than he is in your comfort. I tried to warn you, this is scary stuff. But God is much more interested in your development and your ability to trust him than he is in just your comfort. It's not that he doesn't want you to be comfortable. Clearly, I'm for comfort. But God wants us to be poets too. And the lives that we live and the shoulders that we rub with this world around us and and the investment that we make at the job or in schools or in the neighborhoods, those people with whom we rub shoulders, they need us to be growing, developing Christians. And God sees to it that we, on a regular basis, are put in positions to grow. We can expect that from him. And very quickly, one last point of growth that he gives us. He positions us for identity. I said a minute ago, I told you it wouldn't be the last time you'd hear it, God is more interested in your development than in your comfort. And part of our development is that we figure out who we are. And we can expect God to develop that in us. Why didn't God just leave Abram back where he was at his father's house, tent? Why was it necessary for Abram to move out of where he was into an uncertain future at an undistinguished place? Why couldn't God just do it where he was? And the answer is God certainly could have done it where he was, but he knew that Abram needed more than that. Abram would never grow and develop to be who God wanted him to be if he was still stuck under his father's name. Let me tell you how I think that hits us as a church. And I want you to listen with both ears because I'm not trying to send any subliminal messages or anything like that. This is just part of how God deals with us, and we, we understand it as we go forward. The reality for us is that we have an, identi- an identity in Christ that cannot be fulfilled if we just stay the way we've always been. I, I, I lived this as a young minister. I had the opportunity, to, the real privilege, as it turned out, to be on staff with my dad. He was the pastor. And I was a youth minister, and then later I was the assistant pastor, and my dad was the pastor there. And all of that time, I lived under this umbrella. I was Brother Gene's son. Stepping out from under that umbrella proved to be difficult. I was my own man. I did my own thing. I thought differently about some things than he did. But I was always Brother Gene's son, and then my dad retired, and I became senior pastor, and I was still Brother Gene's son. And some of those years I wondered if I ever would have the opportunity to be Mark as opposed to Brother Gene's son. That's a little bit of what's going on with Abram here, I think. God needed him to be out of the environment in which he was so that he could fully develop the identity that would stand head and shoulders above others in Scripture by the time we get to the book of Hebrews. This Abram was more than just Terah's son. He was the father of the faithful. But he had to get out there in order to develop that, and God moved him accordingly. My son has the same problem that I had because my son is a youth minister in the church where I served as Pastor and where his granddad served as pastor. And so Colin always has to fight this, are you Brother Mark's son? Are you Brother Gene's grandson? Are you somebody else? Here's why I think that's so important. Here's why I spent all that time talking about it. As a church, we can expect God to position us for identity formation. I told you a few weeks ago that I was not Levi Price. Some of you know that. You've worked with me enough already to know he's not Levi Price. I also told you I'm not Richard Rush. I'm not David Lowry. I'm not any of those guys. And the reality is, if we follow what we're finding in Scripture here and this idea of identity formation, for us as a church, if God wanted us to stay who we've always been, He would have left those other pastors here. If He wanted me to be Levi, it would have been better to leave Levi here. Right? Okay, let me help you. Right. We love David Lowry. But God said, and, and David said, this: the time has come for a change in that, and, and that's part of what we find here. It's not that we need to change who we are; it's that we need to develop into who God is making us to be. I, I, I have said many times, I don't want you to miss this at all. But I have said many times, I am struck with the honor of serving as pastor of this great church. There is such a tremendous legacy of faithfulness in this church. I'm honored by that. You should know that. And I'm not up here jumping around saying, hey, let's change 15,000 different things. I'm not doing that. That's not what this is about. Here's what this is about. If God has said, this is the time, this is what we do, is it possible that God might say, the best days of this church are yet to be seen? But if we only serve a legacy of the past rather than the king of the future, Jesus Christ, we will ground ourselves into oblivion as a church that used to be great. God is moving us as a people into a future that we don't know, but he is as much God of the future as he is God of the past, as he is God of the present. And our responsibility is to hear his voice and respond appropriately and step out into that future knowing that he intends to make us what he wants us to be. I say let's go to that future. And with that in mind, let me close this way. These can be scary words, to be sure. This week I was preparing for our Wednesday night Bible study. We're doing a study on praying with Jesus and what Jesus teaches us about prayer as we involve ourselves in prayer as a church on Wednesday night. And I came across a story by Bernie Smith who wrote a book on prayer many, many years ago. And Bernie talked about in the early days of flying, he found himself on a plane, and it was in the middle of the night, and the passengers were asleep. And he was just struck with the experience, and he was looking out the window of this plane as it flew cross-country. And he was struck with how dark it was and how the lights on the wings were flashing. And he just was looking around, and he said all of a sudden to his horror, He saw flames erupt out of one of the engines and start trailing like a volcano fire uh, behind the engine. I'll put it in my terms, not the way he said it, but that's a freak-out moment if you're prone to freaking out. And so he looked around, he saw all these people who were asleep and had no clue what was going on, and so he summoned the flight stewardess, And she came back to him, and he's pointing out the window, and he's telling her what's going on. In a very calm way, here's what she said. Sir, there's no cause for alarm. I know the pilot. I have flown many times with him. All is well. For us as a church, like Abram as an individual, responding to the voice of God and the call of God into an uncertain out there, we should hear those words because we know the pilot. and We have walked with him many miles. All is well. Let's pray. And as we pray, the question for you is, Is all well in your life? Are you at a time of crisis, a time when you really need to hear God, a time when you would prefer to hear comforting words rather than anything else? Jesus himself speaks peace to you because he loves you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior... All the stuff that we're talking about, the way that we live our lives, it all begins with an acknowledgement of the fact that he loves you, that he is God in the flesh, and that he purchased a life for you, a life that overcomes, that moves beyond the power and the curse of sin, and it is a life that is fully alive. If you don't know that life, I would invite you to it today. This invitation time is a great time for us to have that discussion and start that process. We invite you to come down and we'll uh, pray with you, counsel with you as necessary. Maybe God's moving you to join a church that is intent on being obedient into a future that even we don't know, and yet we know that we walk with him and we intend to go there. It's a great church. I love coming to church here. I would say you ought to join. You ought to be part of us as we go forward. Whatever it is God's doing in your life, now's a good time to step out and let him do it. And Jesus, we ask you to take this time, glorify yourself, change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.